A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode may contain content not suitable for some audiences, including crimes against children, mentions of suicide, descriptions of a graphic nature, and adult language at times. Listener discretion is advised. It's October 2021. I'm reading a news article about a local man who had been missing for almost nine years. The man's father was appealing to the public to help him find his son, who the police believed had been murdered. I had read about this case on at least 50 occasions over the years, and although the police had released limited information, I wondered, how hadn't this case been solved yet? I'm not really sure what was different about this article. I'd seen this man front campaigns similar to this many, many times before. But this time, something inside implored me to do something. I needed to help. But what could I do? I had a son, a wife, and some bastard took it away from me. I vividly remember not being able to sleep that night thinking, something's not not right with this, this is strange. People know where he is and what happened. I messaged him on Facebook and I could see someone typing a reply and then it turned out someone else had his phone and my heart sank, scarily got really real, really quick. Alan says he's in a club no wants to be in because Kyle, who's a missing person that's been murdered. It's gone on so long now and whoever's got this information and has managed to keep it to themselves. There is criticism of the way his case was dealt with. Kyle's parents have made an emotional appeal today after police announced they have reason to believe Kyle has been murdered. 
you know, has been it's had a massive impact on his family for nine years already. That's enough. I never, never, never give up. I want justice for Kyle. It's late winter 2012, just five days after Christmas. Police officers from South Wales have just attended the scene of a car accident in the middle of the night after receiving calls from concerned members of the public. As the rain beat down on the dormant, darkened road of the A467 northbound carriageway between Cross Keys and Risca, the officers were greeted by the sight of a silver Peugeot 306 abandoned near trees at the side of the carriageway. It doesn't appear there are any other vehicles involved in this accident, and there is no sign of the driver. The police are baffled until they learn that two undertakers had stopped at the scene just moments after the collision occurred and witnessed the driver of the Peugeot exit the vehicle. They even indulged in a brief conversation with him before leaving him at the scene and going on their way. As police tried to make sense of the situation, they attended the address of the registered keeper of the vehicle, Mr. Alan Vaughan. Likely believing he had been drinking, they informed Alan that he was under arrest on suspicion of driving under the influence and leaving the scene of an accident. Alan was so confused. He knew he hadn't left his home all day, and the vehicles he owned were all accounted for at his home address. The police gave Alan a description of the vehicle in question, and that's when the penny finally dropped. It was the car that Alan and his wife Mary had bought for their son, Kyle. So where was he? You are listening to True Crime Britain. Join me, Rhiannon, each Wednesday as I tell the solved and unsolved stories of some of the most disturbing, mysterious and heartbreaking crimes committed throughout the United Kingdom. Welcome to this week's episode. Kyle lives at the home he shares with his parents Mary and Alan in the small town of Newbridge, located within the borough of Caerphilly, South Wales. Since moving there from Newport, when Kyle enrolled as a pupil at Cumcarn High School, Alan describes the town as a lovely area to raise their son. They have friendly neighbours, and there is a real sense of community spirit in the area. As its name would imply, Newbridge was the name of the land surrounding the new bridge that was built across the River Ebu towards the end of the 18th century. Back then, Newbridge had a low population and was an area made up of rural farms and sheep pastures before the coal mining boom of the 19th century attracted workers from all over Britain. 
creating a thriving town most recognised for its productive workers. As times moved on, developments were added to increase leisure facilities in the area, and by 2013, Newbridge was more notably known as the hometown to world champion boxer Joe Calzaghe. But it would now also become remembered for a more sinister reason. Police are appealing for information today after a 24-year-old man from Newbridge vanished after a... Concerns are growing today as the search continues for 24-year-old Kyle Vaughan. It doesn't take Kyle long to settle in after the move from the tough city of Newport. He was excelling at maths, was a dab hand with computers, and had even made himself a circle of really good friends. Though Alan had another son from a previous relationship, Kyle was Mary's only child, and whilst Alan spent time working away from home to provide for the family, Kyle and Mary shared an inseparable bond. Mary had survived cancer in the past and was also diabetic, so was not always feeling her best. But family-oriented Kyle would always ensure his mother would eat regularly and cater to her needs. Alan would joke that when he called Kyle's mobile phone, he wouldn't always answer, but if Mary called him, he would answer on the first ring. But it was not just Mary who shared a great bond with Kyle, as Alan would regularly take him away to work with him as an engineer, showing him the ropes of how things were done, as well as teaching him about the mechanics that made a car. From a young age, Kyle, who was also affectionately known as Vaughny to his friends, developed a passion for rock music. Mary and Alan bought him a set of drums which he had taught himself to play perfectly from scratch and in 2012, Kyle even began organising and promoting for live music bands from all around Europe to play gigs at the once legendary live music venue TJ's in Newport, a place Kyle particularly enjoyed. He had even held several events to raise money for the cancer charities that had helped his own mum when she herself had fought the disease. By now, Kyle was doing well in life and had even found himself a job in production technology at Unilever, a local pot noodle factory, where, according to Alan, he was well-liked by his colleagues and always gave 110% to whatever he done. But while he took his work life seriously, Kyle always made time to take part in a healthy social life too, regularly meeting up with friends, whether it just be for a few beers, attending the concerts of his favourite bands, or just going to parties, singing and dancing to the music he loved. 
our friendship group was for people who went to school together. So as we got older and people went to college and stuff, like other people naturally joined the group. Bonnie just come out of nowhere. He was just at his house party once and because it was such a like a, a tight friendship group, if there was someone there that we didn't know, everyone was like, who's this guy? Where's he come from? I can remember seeing him dancing to some ska music and it was a song that I liked as well. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go check out this new guy and I would dance with him. So we were just dancing like a, a pair of young idiots to this ska music and then when the song finished, I was like, oh, you're right, Ben? He said, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm Ryan, nice to meet you. And then like we had a beer and got talking and discovered we liked loads of the same music. And then, yeah, from there, we just sort of hit it off. Every time I picture being at a ska concert, I picture him dancing, swinging his arms about just with the biggest smile on his face in the middle of a dance floor. He was brilliant. He, um, he didn't care where he was. He was always happy to express his love and emotion for music. That was Kyle's good friend, Ryan. I had the absolute pleasure of meeting with Ryan to talk about his memories of Kyle. We agreed to meet in a back garden bar. It was the first time I had ever done anything like this, and I was well aware that this could be such a sensitive subject. So to say I was nervous was an understatement, but I needn't have been. As soon as Ryan entered the room, he looked around at the humorous wall plaques, neon lights, beer pumps and surround sound speakers, before saying, Oh, what a perfect setting to talk about Vorney. He'd bloody love this, man. The ice had been broken, and as he began to share his most memorable stories of Kyle, it's clear he is reliving the scenes in his mind. As a huge smile spreads across his face, his eyes visibly gleaming with pure love for his friend. You'll hear more from Ryan throughout the episode. So where was Kyle now? And what exactly happened that night? On the 30th of December 2012, 24-year-old Kyle Vaughan is at the home he shares with his parents Mary and Alan in Newbridge. The day had started like any other, and like many young men his age, Kyle was in and out of the house socialising throughout the day before having dinner with his parents before getting showered and ready to go out. Tonight, he plans to enjoy the final day of the weekend at a house party. At 5pm, Kyle leaves his home and heads to the West End area of Abakan to the location of the house party. It is unclear how long Kyle actually spent there, but at some point during the evening, Police say that Kyle left the party to visit some friends at a pub in Riska. According to the police, Kyle entered the bar and was seen talking to his friends for a brief time before leaving the unnamed pub and getting back into his car to make the journey back to the party to continue his evening. He never made it back to that party and he was never seen again. Had Kyle disappeared at his own accord? Maybe he was concussed after the collision, had fallen somewhere and couldn't call out for help? Or had something more sinister happened? 
when police arrived at the scene of the incident on the A467, it would soon become apparent that the extensively damaged Silver Peugeot 306 had been abandoned. As soon as the confusion over who the Peugeot belonged to had been cleared up, Alan felt a father's intuition that something very bad had happened to Kyle. They were used to Kyle staying out after a party or a night on the town. He was a young man, and he and Mary had never held Kyle back from enjoying his life. But he'd never failed to call or text to let them know where he was, no matter what. So Alan just knew something was very wrong. He remembered Kyle telling him about some threatening text messages he had received the day before. Alan informed the police, hoping they would take his concerns seriously. Despite the strange circumstances and the fact that they couldn't contact him at all, Kyle's parents were told that they could not file a missing persons report until the following day. Desperate to locate their son, Alan and Mary reached out to friends and family on Facebook and immediately tried to make contact with Kyle's friends in the hope that somebody might know where he was. With no clues to Kyle's whereabouts, the next day, Alan attended Blackwood Police Station to file a missing persons report, where he was told that Kyle had been admitted to the Royal Gwent Hospital in the city of Newport, just five miles from where Kyle was last sighted. But this information turned out to be false. There were no reports of Kyle attending that hospital or any hospitals in the surrounding areas. Why did the police think he was there? Why did they tell Kyle's parents he was there? All Kyle's parents had been told so far was that the police believed that around 11.45pm, Kyle had somehow lost control of his silver Peugeot 306 on the A467 bypass, possibly due to the adverse weather conditions, before it had made impact with a tree at the side of the road, careered across the second lane, made contact with the central reservation, skid back across the road, before finally coming to a stop when the rear end of the car had embedded itself into the trees at the side of the carriageway. They also suggested that Kyle may have been trying to hitchhike after the collision. Understandably, Mary and Alan wanted more details, but the police appeared to believe that Kyle was probably just hiding out somewhere and would soon turn up when the dust had settled a bit but Alan still had that feeling that something bad had happened. So that day, he went to see Kyle's vehicle, which, by now, had been transported to a storage lockup by police. Alan recalled the Peugeot being so damaged, he wondered how Kyle could have even walked away from the accident alive. But the police informed him that, yes, he definitely had, 
as two undertakers had informed them that just moments after the collision occurred, they were forced to stop their own vehicle as debris from the collision had scattered in the road in front of them. They pulled over and began talking to Kyle. They described Kyle as being mostly uninjured and, yes, a little shocked, but they didn't believe he was intoxicated in any way that night. We don't know the full exchange of words during their conversation, but what we do know is that at some point, Kyle had asked the undertakers if they could give him a lift somewhere, but as the undertakers were carrying a deceased body on board their vehicle, and it was against company policy to give people lifts for obvious reasons, the undertakers had no choice but to decline, a decision that would haunt them for the rest of their lives. When the conversation came to an end, the undertakers returned to their vehicle and saw Kyle walking along the same side of the carriageway he had been driving before the collision occurred, in the direction of what's known locally as the New Moon Roundabout, before eventually losing sight of him. Hearing that witnesses had reportedly seen and spoken to Kyle after the accident should have been a source of relief to Alan and Mary, but as more hours passed by with no signs of Kyle, certain he would have suffered a concussion at the very least, and fearing their diabetic son who relied on insulin injections could be seriously unwell somewhere, their desperation to locate him intensified. So Alan asked the police to conduct searches of the area where Kyle's abandoned car had been found, but says they refused this request due to health and safety reasons. Fearful Kyle could be laying injured somewhere, and believing the police just weren't taking Kyle's disappearance as seriously as they'd have liked, family, friends and work colleagues began to conduct searches of their own. They walked shoulder to shoulder, searching the rough and uneven terrain for any clues that would lead them to Kyle, which would later result in Alan taking a nasty fall on the side of a mountain, fracturing his ribs. Despite everyone's best efforts, there was no sign of Kyle. But just days later, there was news. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Kyle's parents have made an emotional appeal today after police announced they have reason to believe Kyle has been murdered.
On the 10th of January 2013, locals began to notice police activity in the area significantly increasing, and then came the announcement that nobody wanted to hear. The authorities were no longer treating Kyle as a missing person. They had now escalated the case to a murder inquiry. Furthermore, they had arrested a 27-year-old male from Blackwood on suspicion of murder. Detective Superintendent Peter Jones, the senior investigating officer on the case, told the press at the time, Specialist search officers have been deployed and have conducted detailed searches of several areas over the last week. These searches have included the use of a search dog. Family liaison officers are providing Kyle's family with support at this very difficult and upsetting time. As word began to spread, residents of this small town were rocked by the news. Elizabeth Burt, now a reporter for the South Wales Argus, who lived local to the scene at the time, recalls her memories as the case began to unfold. It happened quite late at night when, you know, it all sort of unfolded. But I do remember that there was like quite a lot of a police presence the following day around the area, which was unusual. This whole valley is quite quiet. You know, there's the occasional time where you might get some assaults or things like that. But most of the time, you know, if you see police going past, they're just going through to somewhere else. So having the police around was kind of weird. And then obviously we shared what had happened. The location where it was was only just up the road from me. So in the initial period, like the initial sort of few weeks after, it was very weird because normally, you know, things are quite like cut and dry. They'll find something out pretty much straight away. You'll know like, OK, this person's gone off on their own or this person's died. But it wasn't like that. It was just kind of uh, this person's gone missing. We don't know anything other than his car was here. And that was it for about a week. And then it turned into a murder investigation, which was really strange because it was like, well, nobody had actually known anything. The public hadn't been made aware that it was being looked at as a murder investigation until it was. So it was a lot of confusion, really. People kind of knew or people thought they you know, think they know, know what has happened. But then nothing was actually correlated in terms of, you know, the police were like arresting people and then letting them go. And that's kind of basically all that happened. And that's kind of all that's happened since. It's gone on so long now. And whoever's got this information and has managed to keep it to themselves, I don't know how we can do that, you know, because surely it's eating away. Honestly, I would hope it was eating away at them because all they're doing is putting Alan into an early grave. The news that Kyle was believed to have been murdered came as a devastating blow to Mary and Alan as they struggled with the reality of never seeing their son again, although they knew deep down in their hearts that Kyle was never coming home, Alan and Mary still held on to that tiny piece of hope that the police had somehow got it wrong, that Kyle would walk through that door again at any moment and his infectious smile would light up the room once again. It was a traumatic time, but through the darkness, Kyle's heartbroken friends, who had always been welcomed at the Vaughan's home when Kyle was growing up, were providing a source of comfort to Mary and Alan 
as they leant on each other for strength and support. Despite being in England, training with the Royal Air Force at the time, Ryan still desperately tried to contact his friend. He'll never forget the moment that Alan, nicknamed George by Kyle's friends, first broke the news that Kyle was missing. When Horny went missing, George contacted me at first. When he just said he was missing, I just thought, ah, Horny's just probably had a wild weekend and his phone died. He'll probably pitch up on Monday or something. Sitting with it for a while, I was thinking, well, no, because, you know, he'd still always check in with his parents or his friends. And if he was having a Barney with George or Mary, he'd still check in. The more I thought about it, the worse i become thinking, oh, my days, what's going on? And then, of course, I tried meshing in myself. I tried phoning him. At first, like, I messaged him on Facebook, and I could see someone typing a reply. And I was like, wow, he's all right. But look, he's typing back to me now. And then it turned out someone else had his phone. I was like, who the hell are you? Why have you got Ronnie's phone? Where is he? What's going on? And then this guy's he's explaining things like he, he went missing and he left his phone in his house and whatnot. And I can remember thinking, well, where is your house? Where are you? Our friends were just saying, the police are away. You know, they're going to they're gonna get him back. Don't worry about it. I just sort of sat with it and waited, kept in contact with George, hoping that he'd message to say, oh, yeah, he was just at so-and-so's house. And I thought, hey, he'll be okay. I was quite optimistic. The hope didn't last long. The story unfolded of what likely happened. Oh, I can remember my heart sank. I didn't want to believe it. I thought, well, maybe that was a cover. Maybe he just ran off and he's laying low for a while. You know, as time went on, I was like, okay, people have done searches and, and things now. There's no way he's hiding somewhere, you know, especially seeing as he needed his insulin. You know, he wouldn't have lasted long without that or, you know, without going to a hospital at least. So, scaringly, got really real, really quick. While the police begin the process of questioning the eight arrested suspects, Detective Inspector Jones, leading the investigation, tells the press eight people have been arrested during the course of the investigation. We are committed to finding out what happened to Kyle that night and since, and we won't stop until all avenues and lines of inquiry have been exhausted. Meanwhile, Kyle's family have created a Facebook group with the intention of widening the appeal to assist in the search for clues, which quickly gathers hundreds of members. But they still aren't finding the answers they so desperately need. And one by one, as the eight arrested suspects are released on bail pending further investigation, Mary and Alan are left confused. How could their son just vanish without a trace? And why is nobody being held accountable? Nothing seems to make any sense. They just want to know what's happened to their son, to be able to lay him to rest, and to see those responsible face justice. Shortly after, police begin putting up signs displaying Kyle's photograph which run along the A467 stretch of road where Kyle was last sighted, appealing to the public for any potential information that may help the investigation. And as the Facebook group gathers pace, the community rally around in support for one of their own, walking the streets of Newbridge and surrounding areas in the most challenging of weather conditions, handing out flyers, pinning up posters pulling together to help in any way they can. 
Others, including complete strangers from around the world, light candles at night in the belief that the glowing lights will guide Kyle back home. The Facebook group is proving to be useful as a steady flow of reported tip-offs and hearsays relating to the case are conveyed to the family and police to investigate. The majority of people who contact the family do so with the best of intentions to offer potential help to the inquiry. Then there are the cruel hoaxers who falsely describe in graphic detail what had happened to Kyle that night and where his body is located, as well as well-meaning mediums who truly believe they know details about the case. This is distressing for everyone involved, but for Mary and Alan, it's pure torture. The constant roller coaster of emotions by having their hopes raised and then dashed again begins to take its toll on them. Where was their son? Somebody must know something. By mid-March 2013, an agonising ten weeks since Kyle disappeared, Alan and Mary visit the incident room to be shown the -the behind-the-scenes operations for themselves, and they are shocked to discover the immense scale of the inquiry. There are a team of detectives from the Gwent Police Major Incident Team, forensic experts, and almost 50 officers working around the clock trying to uncover the circumstances surrounding Kyle's disappearance. Gwent Police tell the South Wales Argus that they have analysed over 1,800 items of property, more than 100 lines of telecoms data, 200 hours of CCTV and taken more than 230 statements from the public in relation to the investigation. By now, specially trained search officers and cadaver dogs have been deployed in the hope of locating Kyle's body and Seven Area Rescue Association, known as SARA, who have also joined the operation, begin trawling sections of the River Ebu which runs alongside the A467 carriageway, where Kyle's abandoned Peugeot had been found. Police also launch a fresh campaign, targeting rugby fans travelling to and from Cardiff Central for the Wales vs England Six Nations Decider game. Large posters are erected at the station, British Transport Police and Arriva Trains put up posters of Kyle on part of the South Wales Valley's rail network, hoping to jog the memories of anyone who may have any information relating to the investigation. Gwent Police also create a Facebook advert aimed at people whose Facebook accounts are within the area of the police force. Detective Superintendent Peter Jones tells the press, We hope the Facebook advert and the posters targeting the rail network on a busy day for travel will jog somebody's memory and lead them to call us with information. No matter how insignificant it may seem, just one bit of information could provide a major breakthrough to our investigation. In their own efforts to gather more exposure, Kyle's family and friends organise an awareness walk 
in a bid to reappeal for information. Encouraged to wear red in recognition of Kyle's favourite football team, the public are invited to join the walk to, quote, demonstrate a community united by the unanswered questions surrounding Kyle's disappearance. On the 30th of March, as supporters turn out in their droves, Mary and Alan hold a large banner displaying a photograph of popular Kyle with the words, Walk With Us, as they lead the sea of red supporters to begin marching through the streets of Newbridge. Along the route, they hand out flyers containing information about Kyle, before finally reaching the memorial hall to begin a raffle of prizes donated by kind business owners in the community. They are donating the funds raised to the Seven Area Rescue Association, the charity assisting in searches for Kyle, as they feel sure that their kind-hearted son would have wanted to give something back to Sarah for their continuous efforts. The walk is a success, and it also generated an abundance of support from the community and beyond, with one woman writing on the Facebook group, quote, I travelled up from Cardiff to show support for Kyle and his parents today. Although I live in Cardiff, I am an anesthesia girl originally, and I couldn't sit back and do nothing while one of our own was suffering. The Valley's spirit is that everyone sticks together, so I had to take part in this walk. The show of support gives the family some much-needed comfort, and they are beyond grateful for everyone's efforts, believing they will finally get the answers they need to find their son. But sadly, no new information was found, and in the weeks that passed, the search and investigative efforts appeared to be dying down. They need a miracle. Then, Alan receives some additional information that could potentially change everything. Alan is informed that the Undertakers had witnessed more than he'd initially been led to believe. As you've already heard, the Undertakers spoke to Kyle briefly before observing him walk off towards the New Moon roundabout. Moments later, the Undertakers begin to drive off to continue their journey, and it was at this point that their vehicle's lights illuminated the road ahead, and they see something. A car, stationary, just further ahead at the side of the road. And just as they come to pass this vehicle, they see someone forcibly pushing Kyle into the unidentified motor. They say the event had taken place very quickly, so they were unable to determine the license plate details, the number of occupants, or the make or model of the vehicle. Remember, this happened shortly before midnight. The bypass had very little lighting and it was raining heavily, so taking the conditions of visibility into consideration and the fact that the undertaker's vehicle was in motion at the time, 
it's reasonable to understand why the witnesses could not provide any further helpful information. But who had pushed Kyle into that unidentified vehicle? Why had they taken him? What had they done to him? And where was he now? When Kyle had moved to Newbridge from the tough city life of Newport, we know he hadn't found it difficult to make friends. And as Alan talks about Kyle's closest friends, he describes them as family. He has a nickname for each and every one of them, and as you know, they call him George. He recalls how he and Mary had once held a party for Kyle's 21st birthday, with over 90 of his friends turning up to celebrate with him. Their home was so crowded that Mary and Alan had to sit on the curb outside, and by the time they were ready to go to bed, they noticed several of Kyle's friends had fallen asleep in different parts of the house and garden. Though this may be considered evidence of a good time, Mary and Alan could be forgiven for the feeling of dread they felt when imagining the mess they'd be presented with the next morning. But to their surprise, when they woke the following morning, the house was spotless, with Kyle and his remaining friends happily playing Monopoly on the living room floor. It was clear to everyone around him that Kyle's loyal social circle meant the world to him and played a huge part in his life. Whenever there was a planned meet-up involving his group of friends, Kyle would very rarely be absent. But over time, as the Brotherhood started maturing, priorities began to change within the friendships. Some of the group had entered new relationships. Some were busy welcoming children of their own into the world. Some were tied down to long working days, and some were moving on to pastures new, making new lives for themselves in different parts of the world. So as the dynamics of the group began to alter, some friends have suggested that Kyle may have felt a little deserted around this time. But neither Alan nor Mary saw any changes in Kyle that would call for any cause for concern. He was still working at Unilever and was even beginning to make some new companions too. On the surface, Kyle appeared to be adjusting well to the changes happening around him. From everything I've learned about Kyle's life so far, I find it unimaginable that anyone would want to harm him. However, Kyle had unintentionally gotten himself onto the wrong side of somebody and had been involved in a disagreement via text message on the day of his disappearance, even receiving threats of violence from that person. Furthermore, it has been suggested that Kyle's movements leading up to the collision may not have transpired in the way it had been portrayed by the police. And even more shockingly, the collision itself may not have been caused by Kyle losing control of his Peugeot after all, but rather a very deliberate act of somebody chasing him off the road. Throughout the investigation, the police and Crime Stoppers 
released information to the public suggesting that Kyle had briefly visited some friends in a pub in Riska on the evening of his disappearance. Yet, there seems to be an element of mystery surrounding this version of events. And to this day, Alan still hasn't been informed of what pub Kyle had supposedly visited. Why hasn't this information been made public? And who had witnessed Kyle ever being there in the first place? Alan has his own ideas as to how events of that night might have panned out. And to be fair to him, from what I have seen and heard so far, Alan's theory could definitely be a possibility. He says that Kyle had confided in him that day that he had been arguing with someone via text message. And due to the reputation of this person, who can't be named for legal reasons, Kyle was concerned for his own safety after receiving threats of physical violence. Alan says he believes further words were exchanged between the pair via text message whilst Kyle was at the party. And at some point, Kyle left the party and travelled to a location in Riska that I won't disclose on this episode to meet up with this person with the intention of trying to sort out their differences. It's not known for certain if this was before or after Kyle had supposedly visited the pub. But Alan says that when Kyle reached the location, he was alarmed to discover that there were several people there waiting for him. Realising he was outnumbered and most likely fearful for his safety, Kyle turned his Peugeot around and took off before the situation could escalate. At this point, Alan theorises that Kyle was spotted by the group as he tried to drive away, which would lead them to pursue him in their own vehicle until they eventually reached the A467 bypass. He believes Kyle's car was then chased by the pursuing vehicle, which eventually caused Kyle to lose control of his Peugeot, resulting in the collision. If Alan's theories of how events might have played out that night are correct, this would mean that after the pursuing vehicle had chased Kyle off the road, they had then pulled over further up ahead, lying in wait. In the rain and darkness, Kyle hadn't realised they had stopped, likely thinking they had carried on up the carriageway after witnessing the collision. After ending his conversation with the undertakers, Kyle then began walking toward the New Moon Roundabout, and just as he unknowingly reached the vicinity of the mystery vehicle, one or more persons ambushed him before forcing him into their vehicle and driving off. Now, I can't say for sure that this is what happened, but the idea that the alleged culprits just got lucky by spontaneously passing the exact person that they were looking to harm 
on that dark road at that exact moment does sound rather far-fetched. But I guess it's not impossible either. The next day was New Year's Eve, and several of Kyle's friends felt sure that he would turn up to their arranged get-together that evening. But as we know, he didn't. There was a uh, a party arranged at Abercorn Rugby Club. We'd all arranged to meet there after the Christmas period, seeing all your friends and, and the New Year and everything all kind of in one. I remember that I was texting him, I think, that day. What time are you coming down? Other people were texting him. Have you heard from him? No, I haven't heard from him yet. Oh, okay, well, that's quite normal. You know, maybe he's coming a bit later or whatever. And then it became quite clear that he wasn't coming and we were all a little bit surprised, really, that he didn't join everyone because it certainly felt to me that his friends were kind of his life. Our our social circle was very, very important to him. In that evening, I think uh, George got hold of me. It was like, oh, have you heard from him? No, I haven't, but I'll let you know. Vividly remember not being able to sleep that night thinking, something's not, something's not right with this, this is strange. And my overriding feeling is feeling uneasy. The very fact that he didn't turn up and didn't get in touch, it wasn't like him if you messaged him, you know, to say nothing. He would at least reply, yeah, see you later, or no, I can't make it today. So it certainly felt uneasy and uncomfortable when I realised that he disappeared. Of course, I hoped he would, he would turn up well, and happy and that this was all sort of some big misunderstanding. I personally had a bit of a feeling all along that there's something else kind of going on here because it was very, very out of character for him to kind of shut off contact with everyone because, as I mentioned earlier, I felt like his social circle was one of the most important things for him and that seeing his friends and being around everyone and being together was something that he kind of lived for look forward to. So to completely cut off contact with his friends was highly unusual and that led me down the path of believing that something isn't right. And in addition to that, really, it was completely unheard of that he at least wouldn't have got hold of his mother and father because he was extremely close to his mum and dad to just completely shut them off like that. I don't think he would have been happy with the worry that that would have caused his mother. That was Robert, another good friend of Kyle's. I didn't get the opportunity to personally meet with Robert due to the geographic distance between us. But we did manage to arrange an audio chat. He is very polite, well-spoken, and not afraid to say how he feels. Despite leaving Newbridge to begin a new chapter of his life with his partner Sarah shortly after Kyle's disappearance, he still remembers the moment he discovered that Kyle had been presumed murdered. My reaction to finding out that he'd been murdered, that was confirmation of the very worst scenario that I'd kind of already played out in my mind. The other being that he'd just kind of gone missing of his own volition, made a mistake, got lost, whatever form that takes. But when I heard the M word, you know, murder, that's such a big thing that only happens on TV and in films. It doesn't really happen to people I know, you know. So my reaction was was despair, disgust, horror, disbelief. In recent years, Robert and Sarah went on to get married. They live a few hours' drive away from Newbridge now. 
But despite the distance and the passing of time, Robert still affectionately remembers Kyle, and he still wants to see justice done for his friend. During my previous conversations with Alan, he had insinuated that, at times, it felt as though the police had almost given up on Kyle, although he and Mary felt a great appreciation to the police and their efforts when the searches began. He suggested that if they had taken his and Mary's concerns seriously in the first instance and acted sooner, there could have been a greater possibility of finding Kyle's body and any potential evidence to hold those responsible to account, preventing years of additional agony for Kyle's loved ones. And Alan isn't the only person to feel that way. There's a few different elements to the story that are unjust. I've got no problem sharing my opinion on those things, which are that the police didn't do the very best that they could and that there is criticism of the way his case was dealt with, picked up on and concluded. My suspicions are that they dropped the ball early doors and that they spent their entire resources and energy making up for lost ground. This gentleman that they brought in, Detective Chief Inspector, I think his entire modus operandi, if you want to call it that, was just making up for lost ground because the people that were in charge of investigating it early on didn't, and that allowed for unscrupulous people to cover their tracks. I reached out to Gwent Police, offering them the opportunity to participate in this episode, but understandably, as I'm not an accredited member of the press, they kindly declined my offer, adding that information is publicly available online. But in the interest of public confidence, I wanted to try to understand what decisive actions, or lack of, the police may have taken in those first 12 days of Kyle's disappearance. You may be familiar with the term the golden hour. Although this isn't strictly limited to just one hour, the golden hour is a term used to refer to the period immediately following an offence, when any potential evidence is abundant and readily available. According to the Core Investigation Doctrine 2005, positive action in the period immediately following the report of a crime can minimise the attrition of material and maximise the chance of securing any material that could be admissible in court. Going off the timescales provided by Alan, it appears Kyle's car was swiftly removed from the scene after the police had discovered it. Were any positive actions imposed before the Persia was towed away? Had the surrounding area been examined that night for any material that could be admissible in court? When Alan notified the police about the threats Kyle had received and his diabetes, plus the fact that he'd been involved in an obvious collision and nobody could locate him, I would like to believe that the police would have assessed the situation and placed Kyle into the category of a high-risk missing person before allocating resources to begin an urgent attempt to locate him. But that wasn't the case, and according to Alan, the police did not begin conducting searches until 12 
days after Kyle disappeared. Twelve days. This delay of positive action could have given the person or persons responsible for Kyle's disappearance a significant opportunity to create alibis for themselves, dispose of Kyle's body, and discard any potential evidence, including, in part, clothing, phones, and vehicles. South Wales and Gwent Police are separate forces with their own due restrictions. However, both forces do collaborate in certain instances, including the investigations of major crimes. Both forces have faced public and professional criticism over the years, notably for their handling of the Cardiff Five, which led to the wrongful conviction of five men relating to the murder of Lynette White in 1998. Then there's the alleged flawed and corrupt investigation regarding one of the worst crimes in British history known as the Cliddock Murders, in which Mandy Power, her two daughters, aged 8 and 10, and her 80-year-old mother were all bludgeoned to death in 1998, as featured in episode 3 of this very show. And more recently, allegations of police brutality, misogyny, racism, sexual misconduct, homophobia, bigotry, corruption and perjury within the forces have also come to light. Chief Constable for Gwent Police, Pam Kelly, has publicly confirmed that an external independent probe into some of the allegations will take place in the near future. However, as far as I can tell, South Wales Police have pretty much remained silent on the issue. If I'm being completely honest, there have been more than just a few occasions during my research that I've thought to myself, wow, the police haven't followed this up yet? Or something just isn't right here? Now, despite the highlighted negative press surrounding Gwent and South Wales Police, I'm not going to speculate that this is the case here, mind you, because we have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. But in my own opinion, it just doesn't appear that all stones have been turned, and I do believe that it is fair to expect that more could and should have been done at the earliest opportunity in those early days. Had this been the case? Maybe Kyle's loved ones wouldn't still be here now, ten years on, still praying for a resolution. And yes, while I will acknowledge that the police did eventually conduct a large-scale search, what still doesn't sit right with me is the undeniable lack of action during that crucial golden hour period. Maybe everything that came after those first 12 days was just bureaucratic box ticking. I don't know. But in cases like this, delays in action seem to happen all too often, occasionally with devastating results. And in those cases, 
I'm sure the loved ones and general public would have much more respect for the police if they held their hands up and simply said, Yes, you know what? In hindsight, we can see that we did drop the ball there, and that's regrettable and unforgivable, but this is how we intend to move forward. Stonewalling the loved ones of a victim and brushing them off with the occasional public announcement of We've left no stone unturned, when in some cases it's evident that they have, creates extra untold and unnecessary stress to an already despairing time for everyone affected. Based on what I've managed to piece together during conversations with Alan and Kyle's friends, it's fair to assume that the attendees of the party Kyle attended on the 30th of December were not part of his usual long-standing friendship circle. Nobody can seem to pinpoint just how Kyle got to know these people. Could they be some of the companions he had befriended as the dynamics of the original friendship group began to alter? Maybe they know something that could be vital to the investigation. Additionally, Alan says Kyle never went anywhere without his phone. Yet, he didn't have it with him that night after he left the party. I find it odd that Kyle would drive to a location where he knew he could face harm from a person with a proven reputation for violence and not take his phone I'm not going to go into this much more, as it's an open investigation and I don't want to say anything that could compromise the course of justice in any way. However, I do wonder, could it be possible that Kyle's phone had been deliberately taken by somebody before he left the party so he wouldn't get the opportunity to call for help? Remember, Someone had responded to Ryan when he tried to contact Kyle in the early part of his disappearance. How and why did somebody else have his phone and access to Kyle's messenger? I hope this is something that the police have thoroughly looked into. By June 2013... Crime Stoppers appealed for information regarding Kyle's suspected murder and issued a reward of £5,000. By that November, police had analysed more than 1,800 pieces of personal property, approximately 4,800 mobile phone contacts, and over 100 lines of telecoms data, including text messages. But unfortunately, by December that same year, Kyle's loved ones were hit with yet another blow when it was decided by Gwent police that five of the eight people who had been arrested in connection with Kyle's disappearance would have no further action taken against them. The two men arrested on suspicion of murder had their bails extended until April 2014 and a teenager arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender was still under investigation. 
Detective Inspector Peter Jones spoke on the first anniversary of Kyle's disappearance, saying, This is one of the most extensive investigations I have worked on, and being a year on without finding Kyle is obviously extremely difficult and upsetting for his family. He also reminded the public that he remained committed to finding out what happened to Kyle. Family and friends had now been searching for Kyle and justice for almost a year, and there was yet more bad news to come. In February 2014, Kyle's mother Mary announced that she had been diagnosed with liver cancer, and it was terminal. Mary expressed her wish to see Kyle finally be buried before she died. All I would like to say is that I just want Kyle to rest before I go. That's my only wish. I know he's dead. And somebody's done something to him. I haven't got much time left. Another year passes with no huge developments in the investigation. And then... In February 2015, the three individuals who had remained under investigation were released without charge, though Gwent police continued to insist that the case was very much still an active investigation. But it seemed that every lead that came in led nowhere, and eventually, almost four years after Kyle vanished... He was formally declared presumed dead by the High Court, and in May 2017, a touching memorial service was held for Kyle, where loved ones shared their fond memories of a dear son and friend, describing him as always being there for everyone. Later, as Mary's health deteriorated, It was decided that the time had come to close the Facebook page down, but Mary continued to hope and pray that Kyle would be found before she died so they could at least be buried together. But it wasn't to be. On New Year's Day 2018, almost five years to the day after Kyle disappeared, Mary passed away at just 56 years old. In her final moments, Alan begged her not to leave him. Realising he couldn't stop the inevitable, he made Mary a promise that he would spend the rest of his days looking for their boy and he would do whatever it takes to reunite her with her beloved only child. Alan tells me that if Kyle was still alive, he would have been a perfect match to donate part of his liver to Mary with the potential to save her life, and he believes Kyle would have jumped at the chance too, as he would do anything for his mother. So, in theory, he says when Kyle was murdered, Mary received a death sentence too. Kat, the co-creator of the Missing Adults and Children in the UK Facebook page, has consistently volunteered her own time to provide a considerable amount of help and support to Alan in the search for Kyle. Here, 
she describes the heartbreaking effect Kyle's murder has had on Mary and Alan. I've followed Alan's case since Kyle first went missing. It's heartbreaking watching what him and Mary, they were doing their all to find Kyle and then Mary getting poorly. His case is quite different because Kyle hasn't been found. He's out there somewhere. They can't move forward. And the fact that people know where he is and what happened, and yet nobody's willing to give up on that. The fact that Kyle was taken from him, not by choice. It wasn't Kyle's choice to go missing. It's the worst form of cruelty any parent can go through. Losing your child, no matter how old, is hard. But having your child taken the way Kyle was taken, for somebody else to decide that your child can't live any longer, it's cruel. For for Alan, Kyle probably would have been a match for Mary to have a transplant, which Kyle would have done without even thinking. So Alan believes that this took her life as well. But for me, when she should have been planning what time she had left with her husband and son, doing the things that she wanted to do, that was taken away from her because she spent that time in pain, walking the streets looking for her son. They were constant campaigning. I know Alan spent thousands on posters and banners, walks, so much. And when she was in pain, when she was dying, she should have been entitled to dignity. But that time was spent trying to find Kyle and lay him to rest. And the thought that these people can be walking past you in the street, knowing what they've done or knowing who the perpetrators are, must have been horrendous for her, as it's horrendous for Alan. Alan's not in great health. He's not very well. All his focus is finding Kyle. That is all he focuses on. He's so angry, and you can't blame him for his anger, but he's heartbroken as well because he believes he's let Mary down. So that promise, about two minutes before she died, he can't move forward from that because he made the promise. His son was taken from him. Clearly had the most fantastic relationship with his mum, did Kyle. You can hear his voice breaking when he's talking about it. He's talking to Mary's picture. He talks to Kyle's picture. Every morning he says good morning to them. Every night he kisses them and says good night. He's done that from the get-go. He says, oh, it's all right, Mary, it's a cat on the phone. She's going to help us find Kyle. That is his focus in life that's all he wants it's not a lot to ask for just for somebody to just say where kyle is so he can carry out that promise and lay kyle to rest in many cases like this the authorities don't give too much away to the public and as frustrating as this may be it is an understandable and necessary tactic to protect the integrity of an investigation. But that doesn't stop people speculating. And in this case, it appears that, for the most part, locals believe they know what happened to Kyle, who was involved, and for what reason. At one point, there was even a very large banner hanging from an overpass, naming the person allegedly involved in Kyle's disappearance as his murderer. But, for everyone else, it was a guessing game. 
Why would a 24-year-old man suddenly disappear? And soon, the gossip begins. He's been misjudged by a lot of people because, you know, I was out one day in Newport in a calf and I think it was around about the time the police had renewed their appeal for information and started putting posters up. And I, I, I remember overhearing someone say, oh, that's that druggy kid from the valleys that went missing. God, they've never found him because he, he had tattoos and he was into music. People had the wrong idea about who he was. And I think he's been misread and misrepresented. I agree, Robert. And while people are focusing on the theories and rumours, it's easier to overlook the facts that a young man has had his life cruelly taken. Nothing can justify that. Personally, I haven't come across a single person with a bad word to say about Kyle. Can you imagine anyone ever wanting to hurt him? I can imagine people hurting Kyle, yeah. Because the elements of his personality that we found the most endearing and that we liked most about him could be described as being his own downfall. He was a very accepting, open and warm person that could be abused by people. He was the sort of person that would go along with something that wasn't in his best interest because someone had told him that that was the best thing to do. And he was open to manipulation in that way, simply because of the sort of guy that he was. And I think the, the very fact that we had the big group of friends that we did protected a lot of us from those kind of elements, from being led into the wrong groups of people, from being led down certain paths, because we were all quite tight and quite sensible and quite grounded people. We lent on each other in that way. So, what exactly happened to Kyle Vaughan? According to a message that Alan has shown me, which he believes to come from, well, we'll call it a reliable source. Kyle was murdered that night because someone had taken exception to the fact that he was dating a particular female. The author of this message goes on to detail exactly who was involved in the crime and where Kyle's body was believed to have been taken immediately following his murder. I cannot share the entire content of this message for obvious reasons, but I can tell you that it was incredibly uncomfortable to read. As the probable final moments of Kyle's life played out in my mind, his lifeless body, dumped like rubbish, concealed and alone, I think of where he might be now, if he hadn't crossed paths with evil that night. Kyle could have been travelling the world now. Maybe he'd be married. He might even have children of his own. He's missed out on so much. He'll never give a best man speech at one of his many friends' weddings. He didn't get the opportunity to potentially save his own mother's life and be there with her as she grew old. His family and friends will never again hear that infectious laugh I've heard so much about. All his plans, hopes and dreams for the future pointlessly snatched away. Kyle was a loving son, a brother, a grandson, a cousin, a nephew and a very dear friend. For those privileged enough to have known him, 
Kyle's absence will forever be felt. Though is such a positive, vibrant person, like so nice with everyone. I never remember seeing him argue or be nasty to anybody. I just remember him always smiling, always having a laugh, just saying nice things about people and just being a nice person. I can't think of anybody that wouldn't get along with him. He would go out of his way to be friends with anybody. Yeah, he was just such a lovely guy to have around. Those responsible for murdering Kyle, those who may have helped cover up in any way, and those who know more than they are willing to share, your hands and lives will always be stained by the crime you've committed and continue to commit as you watch Kyle's loved ones continue to suffer. As you celebrate Christmas with your families this year, think of the empty chairs where Kyle and Mary once sat. As you look forward to the new year ahead, think of Kyle's father, still stuck on that fateful night when his world changed forever. The first time I ever spoke to Alan on the phone, I wasn't really sure what to make of him. He got straight to the point. He'd never heard of a podcast before, so he wanted to know what it was and what I expected to achieve from it. He was a character, that's for sure. We spent hours on the phone that night, and again the next, and several more over the weeks to come. If we talked about something interesting in the case, he would pause the conversation and relay it back to a photograph held on his wall of Mary and Kyle. And if he sent me a text message, he would often sign off from Alan, Mary and Kyle. What I quickly learned about Alan was, if you say you're going to do something regarding Kyle's case, you do it. Yes, this could come across as abrupt and even a little scary at first, but I quickly realised and understood that I was just another person from a long line of people who had made promises over these last ten years. He'd been let down and lied to on so many occasions. How did he know that I was going to be any different? He didn't. But what I also learnt is, despite his own pain, he is always trying to make others smile and laugh. Yes, he has the odd outburst and meltdown from time to time, but who wouldn't in his position? He's isolated. He's lost people he believed to be friends as he continues to fight for justice. By his own admission, He's in a club nobody wants to be in, and that must be one hell of a lonely place to be. Yet, despite this, Alan's perseverance is unwavering. He is a man on a mission, a man who will never give up, a man who isn't afraid to speak out, because he is a man who has nothing left to lose. 
Nine years ago, I had everything. I had a son, a wife, and some bastard took it away from me. My Mary spent the last years searching and hoping and praying that we will find our son's body, but Mary did not care if I no wish. No mother should go through what she went through. Kyle is still out there, denied the dignity of a proper burial and being buried with his mother, who he loved so much. Because I made a promise to my Mary on her deathbed that I'll keep searching, that I will never give up until Mary's only child, that of Mary's eye, our son Kyle, would be found. My health isn't good. I'm not living anymore. I'm just existing. I don't sleep, I can hardly eat because I'm consumed 24 hours a day with finding Elson. I'm in a club where no one wants to be in, but as long as I still breathe, I'll keep searching, I'll talk to Carl and Mary throughout every day. They know I'm getting close to the truth, but I'm tired. My world has been torn apart by eight people who murdered Elson, so I am just hoping there's someone, and I know there's people out there, that knows what happened to Elson, and I know they're too scared to talk because they're scared of the family. It's not that hard to give us a location of Kyle's body. Surely we deserve that. The people that are still walking around in our community, they don't care what they've done to Elson or us. They only care about not letting the truth come out. I have many ups and downs with the police over the last nine years, but despite everything, I have got full confidence in this new police officer and he has promised me he will find out son's body and bring the people to justice. I still have faith in him and they will find out son's body eventually, but with everyone's help who knows the people that killed our son, we'll get him sooner. I will keep my promise to my Mary and I will never give up until I deliver that promise to reunite Kyle with his mum. But I just need that final piece of the puzzle to be able to reach him and make that happen. Kyle did not deserve what happened to him. He wouldn't hurt a fly. And Mary and me did not deserve to lose our son in this way. The ripple effect of Kyle's murder has impacted so many people, as Ryan and Robert know only too well. made me wish I thought about things a lot more before I did them because Vaughn used to tell me quite a lot when I left for the Air Force like how much he missed me and stuff when Vaughn went missing I hadn't seen him in a, quite a few months just thought oh, if I just didn't join the Air Force and I stayed in South Wales start thinking to myself maybe I could have done something we all grew up together you know I, I, I moved away with the Air Force people move around the world and I guess he didn't he didn't want to move but then when we all did I guess the majority of people that he used to hang around with just weren't around anymore. And for Robert? The emotional effect it had on us was obviously we reacted as a group of people losing their friend at far too young an age. But I think even in our young age, we reacted in quite an adult way. We were able to talk, process things, be there in any way we could for Mary and George as well, you know, because they'd lost their son, which is something that should never happen to anyone. It never really uh, affected our friendship in a negative way. It, it just strengthened it, if anything. Every year on the anniversary of his disappearance, I, I do a bit of a post and been doing like a, a Zoom pub meet 
we all get a couple of beers in then we all just have a drink and we just talk about him and tell some funny stories we usually invite uh, George along and uh, Mary used to join in on the chat as well when she was with us it is quite therapeutic and it's it's still painful but it, talking about him makes me smile what, what I would say to his father and, and his family and the rest of us as friends is that we, we should continue on never never forgetting him, sharing stories about the sort of person that he was and hope that we'll get an answer as to what happened to him. Despite Alan's appearance on BBC's Crime Watch Roadshow in 2021, Crime Stoppers doubling the reward for information leading to a resolution in the case to £10,000. Some promising new tips come into light, as well as the recent discovery of fragments of human remains found in Newport. To date, no significant process has been made, and this is where Kyle's case stands today. It has been ten years since Kyle was last seen. Ten years since he was cruelly murdered. Ten years of heartache and uncertainty, not only for Kyle's loved ones, but for the whole community of Newbridge. Ten long years of seeking a resolution for more than 3,650 days a young man with everything to live for has been lying somewhere, cold and alone, denied the opportunity to be respectfully buried with the dignity he deserves, alongside the mother he loved so much. Please, take a long hard look at the photo of Kyle on my social media pages and share it far and wide. Hear Kyle's story. Help him find the justice he deserves. If you think you might know something, please say something. Don't talk yourself out of it by dismissing it as irrelevant. Let the authorities assess the value of that information. In cases like this, it's not unheard of for police to overlook something significant in those early days. If you have already spoken to the authorities regarding something you felt might have been significant and nothing came of it, don't be afraid to follow it up. Call the police again and ensure you are being heard. This case is waiting to be solved. There's that one tiny piece of information out there that can tie everything together to solve this case. There are multiple people who have direct and indirect knowledge of what happened that night and know where Kyle's body lays. Maybe you know more about Kyle's final movements that night. Maybe you've heard something that you've never shared before. I am asking you, on behalf of Kyle, his loved ones, and the community, to please cooperate. Ten years is a long time to carry that burden, and it will never go away. Now, more than ever before, 
please speak up. In loving memory of Kyle, Mary and Becky, may your beautiful souls rest in eternal paradise. Thank you for listening. I'd like to take this opportunity to express my sincere gratitude to Kyle's father, Alan, Kyle's friends, Ryan and Robert, Kat from Missing Adults and Children in the UK, and Elizabeth Burt from the South Wales Argos. To stay updated on Kyle's case, you can follow the dedicated Facebook page, Justice for Kyle Vaughan. If you would like to find out more about what Kat does, you can find her dedicated page on Facebook, Missing Adults and Children in the UK. To read some of the informative articles and an in-depth timeline of events Elizabeth Burt has written on Kyle's case, please see the links on the episode description. You can find further details and photos relating to today's episode on our website at www.truecrimebritain.com. Were you on the A467 that night? Did you see anything that could help the investigation? Kyle was 5 foot 8 inches tall, with dark hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a dark-coloured beanie hat, a dark-coloured t-shirt, three-quarter-length denim shorts, white trainers, and a gold chain. This is quite an unusual choice of clothing for that time of the year, so he may have stood out. Think back to that time. Christmas 2012 was just five days earlier. James Arthur had just made number one in the charts for the second time with his song Impossible. David Cameron was our Prime Minister here in the UK, while in America, Barack Obama was the President. Popular Christmas presents this year include the likes of the Wii U console, the PlayStation 3 and the LeapPad Explorer. If you have any information relating to Kyle's disappearance, please contact Gwent Police at 101 and quote the log number 397 30th of the 12th 2012 or contact Crime Stoppers completely anonymously on 0800-555-111 or if you prefer, you can contact Rhiannon at truecrimebritain.com via email where all information will be passed on to the relevant authorities on your behalf.